It is Best Coast Football, and it is our bull bonanza. It's our recruiting spectacular, but also it's a coach hiring. Cody Peterson, Nate Salinas, how are you both doing today? I'm terrified at the uh, steel curtain that Dan Lanning's about to build defensively in Eugene. And, uh, you know, concerned about his extremely lengthy uh, experience as both a head coach and a coordinator. Oh, Kirby Smart's coming with him? <laughs> Listen, guys, I am happy to be back and ready to pump some sunshine right here in the midst of this cloudy and rainy Pacific Northwest winter. Okay. <laughs> We at the University of Oregon have hired Mr. Daniel Lanning, pride and joy of William Junior, oh, sorry, William Jewell College, <laughs> somewhere in the greater Missouri area. I cannot tell you exactly where. That's not important. <laughs> no, I, uh, you know, as we've been texting, you know, there was a lot of reports that, that went out about, hey, it could be Chip Kelly. Hey, it might be Justin Wilcox. There are there are some reports that Justin Wilcox was offered the job, not just once, but potentially twice. Uh, so for whatever reason, he rebuffed. Sorry, go ahead. Let's dive into that. Yeah. Because you, you said reports. And what is your sense of what's really true and what happened there? Well, there, you know, there's different like threads to follow. If you if you follow some of the more um, Internet uh, recruiting based uh people, you know, insiders, I guess you might call them, they would be feeding you one particular line of information that that, that, that side of the search was never that serious with Chip and, and Wilcox. But then there's the, the local like Oregonian reporters, um, you know, who uh, the, the bald faced truth, John Canzano, who had an inside track the whole time, who was basically saying after the fact that a letter was sent from one particular football alumni, Joey Harrington, um, you know, from 20, 15, 20 years ago, and got a bunch of his buddies to, to sign it, other quarterbacks and different people. And basically, he really wanted some more continuity at Oregon, that they didn't want to be looking for a new coach every four years. They, they didn't want to be treated like a mercenary to have someone have success and then take off again. And so Canzano is saying that coming out of that, that Justin Wilcox was not just interviewed, but potentially offered the job with the idea of some marketing campaign of like bringing the, the local kid home and he rebuffed it. And then it said that the next day, the Saturday morning that, that it, uh, um, that he was offered uh, the job again, but there are national writers out there that are saying that Lanning was negotiating with Oregon, the final details of his contract on Friday night. So hmm. Kind of depends on who you believe, but either way, it seems like at some point Wilcox at least got an interview and potentially got offered the job. So, I and I also read today that Chip Kelly said on the record that he spoke with people from Oregon. So, who knows if that was just an exploratory conversation or an interview or what that was? But I thought I found that interesting as well. It, if Wilcox was offered the job, why? I mean, it is hypothetical, right? Well, I mean not more than hypothetical this is possible right if he was offered the job why would he uh turn it down when or why would you think he'd turn it down i mean everything trends better at oregon than cal you know i think that there's probably a couple of things there my, my guess would be that oregon having seen mario and 
maybe to a slightly lesser extent, Willie Taggart over the last five years, kind of grind and hustle recruiting and put, I think, big staffs in around recruiting and, and just extra people to really kind of grind in that way. And if you want to recruit to Oregon, you, you, you kind of have to put a national footprint out there, engage who's interested. And then when you actually go travel, you and, and, your, and your position coaches and coordinators, you're hopping on planes and traveling a lot of miles, same as, you know, Washington in a lot of ways. Whereas if you're at USC or if you're at Georgia or Alabama, you might just be able to hop in the car and see, you know, five recruits in two days. That's not really the case at Oregon. So you've got to grind and hustle and move and, and travel. And, and uh, my guess is that, that, you know, Phil and Rob Mullins, the AD, essentially if they offered Justin the job, they, they probably put it with some stipulations in place about what the coordinators would look like that he probably would not be able to bring Musgrave with him. Who's really had a poor offense at Cal, you know, the, the last few years that Justin's always struggled to have a good offense account. So I, I bet there were stipulations in place around strength and conditioning around his coordinators, around coaches and around how much recruiting would be in place that recruiting expectations. And my guess would be that Wilcox just, he thought that was either ridiculous or unrealistic at Oregon, one or the other, and and just didn't want that kind of pressure. So that would be my guess. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, to, to Tim's point, it does does seem odd, especially with the way like Wilner and some other writers seem to indicate that Wilcox was super frustrated with not necessarily the administration administration in Berkeley, but honestly, like there's just kind of this drama with the city of Berkeley Health Department, and yeah, like it. So someone's like, Hey, let me give you another 10 million for staff and recruiting and to help you be successful. And you're like, thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm good here. I'm good. Uh, you know, unable to lure a four-star quarterback to my program, but um, regardless, they Wilcox did not take the job chip, whatever that conversation was, did not pursue the job or they didn't we'll, offer them the job. And we'll say Land, one more thing Landings. about that before, before we get to land, let me say one more thing, Cody, sorry. That with the, the chip angle, I, I think it's interesting that it, it's been reported that uh, Jarmon, their AD, offered an extension that Chip and Jimmy Sexton did not really like before any of this happened. And so mm-hmm. there's speculation that, that, that Chip really wants to stay at UCLA and wanted that extension to be beefier and better, if you will, because January 15th, his contract comes up and there's zero buyout for either side. And so... It seems like there's kind of a game of chess going on where UCLA is like, yeah, we'll take you back, but we're not going to, we're not going to yeah. do anything dumb to do it. And, and, and Chip wants something better, more security, more. He's, sig- he's signaling that there's, yeah. there's appetite in the market for his services elsewhere. It seems like that, that, that was the case. How serious him and Oregon got, I don't know, but he wanted people to know that they were talking that, that maybe Jarman might, you know, bite and, and be a little more aggressive in that extension. So all right, yeah. now, now we'll go ahead and make the announcement. So Dan Lanning, uh, defensive coordinator for Georgia. I mean, I think, you know, you tell us, I think there's there's reason to be excited, uh, you know, under under the umbrella of, you know, the, the Georgia machine and Kirby Smart. He has coordinated an extremely elite defense, uh, especially this year, but the last two years, they've also been really strong. Young guy, energetic guy. Um, so there's that, uh, and supposedly he, you know, has a reputation of being a pretty, uh, fierce recruiter 
and an effective one. Um, but you know, I think the the downside and the the worry is, you know, only been a court, I think a DC for three years. I think if that's if that and then before that, I believe he was actually only a position coach for three years. So, you know, he's he's young. That's that's how it's gonna be. Um, but at the same time, like hasn't really, you know, had those like heavy leadership roles. And you know, Tim, I think is gonna be snide and say it really isn't maybe isn't actually Lanning's defense there down in Georgia. Is it still Kirby Smart's say, defense? I would never say such a thing. So I think I think there's there's lots to be excited about, but there's also, you know, reasons for concern. It's a, um, there are known risks with hiring in, in a, a coordinator, right? It's never been a head coach before. And I think I'll let, I'll let what, one of you guys talk. I think Bruce Feldman always kind of says like being head coach is just a totally, like it's a totally different job than being a coordinator, like a coordinator versus a head coach, because there's so much more CEO type tasks that you've never had to do before. And it seemed totally you know, almost, you know, tangentially related to football. So in, in a bizarro world where I was an Oregon fan, what would concern me would be just the fact that you're uh, giving a first time head coach, this already very talented team that's built up and, you know, there's expectations and someone's got to navigate how to coach, you know, learn how to be a head coach with, you know, and, and and not not a situation where Lincoln Riley or Ryan Day were already in the program. You know, it's just moving literally three thousand miles away. So that would be my only concern. Nate, am I off base on that? Tim, I just want to say it's really nice to have you on the squad. You you look great in green. <laughs> I, no, I'm wearing the pink the the pink one. Oh, thanks for announcing your new fandom. No, I think that this is a big gamble. Um, I'm in favor of, of the gamble. I made that clear over a chip or a Wilcox type hire. Certainly if a Dave Aranda was, was available, you'd probably prefer to see that with the experience. Um, but given some of the names that were out there and realistic, uh, I've made it very clear that I did not want Urban Meyer anywhere near this uh, program, as they would say now these programs. So I'm really glad to see that, that pass. But yeah, I think it's a big gamble. You know, first, very little West Coast experience. He was two years as a at uh, Arizona State as a recruiting coordinator, you know, as a recruiting, you know, uh, as a recruiting lead essentially. And then, you know, no head coaching experience whatsoever. And so those are, I think, the two big major risks is a different beast. The pros, he's a fast riser. A every place that he's been, he's been viewed that he was ready for the next job and, and tab for that. I mean, even if it's Kirby Smart's defense, you have to say that, that Kirby Smart left for Georgia and tabbed this kit at Alabama essentially to be the one to, to call the plays, basically a 31-year-old kid at that time to call plays and to run his defense when, you know, Will Muschamp, uh, Schumann was around and they, they chose him to call the plays. And like Cody said, I think it continues the style that Oregon's went down with Mario of getting that high energy, that recruit all the time style, bring in other recruiters and to try and continue kind of building that roster. So I think it leads to a little bit more continuity with who they've been and what they've tried to do than like a Justin Wilcox, which would be, I felt like a major gear change. So I think in that way, I'm, I'm in favor of kind of taking the gamble on somebody that, I mean, everybody that's looked at him at the spot he's at said, this, this is what his trajectory is. But, you know, Tim, as we know, the same things were said about Jimmy Lake, right? So it, sometimes it does not work. 
So that's the gamble. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Like, you know, I mean, obviously he's, he's bounced around the country. He's been ASU. It's not like he's never been, you know, out in this league or something like that. But, you know, he does have, uh, you know, has spent a lot of his time in the South and like, you know, culturally, like, will that be a great fit as well? Um, but, you know, it doesn't really matter as long as you win. Like people thought, you know, people didn't like Pete Carroll's vibe, right? In, in certain places he'd bounce around and once the, once the wind started rolling in, all of a sudden everybody's your buddy, so. Well, and as, as Nate will point out, the uh, two most successful Oregon coaches, uh, not named Helfrich, have been not from the Northwest at all. And really total outsiders in, in that regard, you know, from New Hampshire and Miami with neither guy having much experience outside of those two places, really outside of what Mario had a couple of years at Alabama. But other than that, he did everything at Miami. Essentially. And, and I want to correct myself. Did I say best or successful? I, I, I don't know. I don't think Helen yeah. was one of the two best. He was successful though. He went to a title game with chips players, but sure. Your friends. Okay, Shall so we the we've, we've talked we've talked about kind of the big coaching news. Um, you know, the the bulk of this show, you know, uh, we are we are talking on the 16th of December, one day after early signing day, which is you know now the day when 80 to 90 percent of recruits actually sign their letters of intent. So it's you know essentially signing day uh, for all intents and purposes. Um, so we're going to talk about the you know each school in the pac 12 we've each kind of covering th- uh four different programs uh we'll do that and then it, it's also kind of fits neatly right before the first uh bowl games for pac 12 teams so we're gonna do our bowl game picks as well as uh you know pick a couple other non-pac 12 bowl games in the playoffs so um we are gonna go from worst to first and that means we start with Kalen DeBoer and his ragtag bunch of uh, not fully assembled staff and what they were able to do or not do on signing day this year, Tim. University of Washington Huskies finished 12th in the Pac-12, which is last. Um, 89th nationally. Put some respect on that name, please. Uh, that, That puts them just ahead of University of South Florida and just behind Northern Illinois uh, in the 247 sports rankings. And 87th would be Fresno State, where DeVore came from. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) A lot of anxiety in Husky Nation right now. Um, but so well, just, just to tee you up, we're, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about, you know, any, any major coaching changes stuff as well. And then if there are big transfers, which there is one big transfer to talk about for the Huskies, but then, you know, talk about the class, your general thoughts, give it a grade, biggest get, biggest whiff, go for it. Yeah. I mean, really it is uh, only six players in the class, one of which had already signed uh, Ameka Megwa a running back or an athlete, but I believe he's going to be a running back. Um, I mean, they kept Jeremy Bernard. That was the big get. He's a 220th nationally. He's a wide receiver from uh, Henderson, Nevada. The uh, DeBoer was down there recruiting him. Um, yeah, a lot of people, like I said, a lot of concern, but to your point, it's a whole new coaching staff. Um, there are, there's no defensive coordinator right now. 
there's you think that's the biggest issue is that there's no dc and the staff was just like barely even half not maybe not even half baked and it's like you know what are you going to tell her what are you going to tell a recruit about what system they're even going to play in no i think the biggest issue was the previous staff right i mean like both we'll we'll talk about that with other programs yeah 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 yeah. borderline borderline impossible to convince a kid to come to you when you've only got two weeks as a staff no no but oregon and sc i mean are you've got the oregon going to a rose bowl right and they were We'll, we'll talk about Nate. We'll talk about them a little bit, but SC, you know, you've got a, I mean, what top five coach in theory that um, top five, top 10 coach coming in. So this is kind of under the radar. Um, a lot of people not bringing, not flipping. None of these uh, recruits were Fresno recruits. So that, yeah, was, that was uh, interesting. Um you know, you could, that, you could argue that maybe he was, maybe he actually acted honorably and didn't go recruit his former guys, but yeah. I don't or, know. I mean, jumping up from a, you know, a conference that, I mean, different target list. Yeah. Different target list and, and, and honoring or not honoring that respect that. Um, yeah. I mean, the, um, it, it's tough to say with misses, I guess, just not having a staff. I mean, that, that would be my biggest miss, right? I mean, they've, um i think the the you have to be you know there's there's still what's his, uh is it josh connerly connerly uh, yeah not so not out on him yet though big big you know offensive line recruit from from south seattle um not completely out on him i think a lot of people think maybe he's, he's headed to michigan potentially but yeah but you know, there's, courtney there's, morgan so, the director of player personnel left michigan to come to seattle to go to so there's there's maybe some hope uh for a couple more guys here what do you what what letter grade would you give this class i mean i think it's just incomplete you know i mean you okay. just don't have anything i mean i guess i guess if you want to say an f and f but i mean it's it's easy to say incomplete i mean there's no if you're last if you're 89th if you're behind northern illinois and fresno state you're either getting an incomplete or an f um or a pass fail to get a fail um we talking transfers too. I think it's important to talk about um, Michael Penix Jr. or yeah. is it Penix Penix Penix? I believe. Any it. chance any of the guys that decommitted after Lake was fired come back around, like a Chance Bogan or? Um, I, I don't know. Jackson Stratton, who was a quarterback, he ended up signing with Colorado State. Saw that, and TJ Hall signed with Iowa. Iowa. Saw that. Yeah. So, uh. There hasn't been too much. There hasn't really been much discussed about it, you know, in that regard. So do you think DeBoer is like, like just maybe focused on it using the transfer portal and getting more experienced bodies? Or I, is it just like they just did not have the time and they're going to figure it out? I I mean, I don't think they had the time. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of chatter about how the previous regime – was kind of like the Willingham regime and not really having good relationships with high school coaches, tanking them. Well, we we had, you know, shared messages. There was a kid from Puyallup saying he wouldn't even, you know, what, what yeah. did he say? I think I can do better I, I res- than that. He's like, I respect <laughs> yeah. myself too much to go to UW or something. Yeah. Like, that's, a, that's a guy that lives 35 minutes away. Well, you know? And there was a guy from Todd Beamer High School in Federal Way, you know, same same county, 
you know, 20 miles from the stadium signing with Texas, you know? Okay. So, uh, so Penix, what are your thoughts? Is he um, going to be, is, is he going to, what percentage chance, games that he starts what percentage chance that he starts the majority of the games next year for the university of Washington? And I would add, and then my second question is, what is the percentage chance that Dylan Morris is on this roster come fall camp? Well, I assume seven starts. So there's 12 conference title game, first round of playoffs championship game. So seven out of 15 <laughs> would now, um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, he's a guy who seems to get banged up. Uh, I think, you know, I don't think you're, uh, you, uh, UCF was after him. I don't think he's coming to Seattle if he's not expecting to be the starter or there is some sure. commitment. Um, Heward, he's, he's played under the board before. Yeah. Heward has looked, I mean, looked awful <clears throat> that game, but Penix gets hurt. So I think there's, I think there's a good chance that he, um, majority of games, I mean, seven would be a majority, right? I think he could play seven games, but I think the better question is who finishes the season. I think Heward might be finishing the season. And Dylan Morris is, is gone. Uh, yeah, I would imagine Morris is, um, Yeah. I mean, he'll maybe he comes to spring camp and sees the lay of the land and says, "Boom, out of here." Can I name one of my concerns real quick? So that I don't want to get too long into one team, but the, one of the concerns that I have is that um, DeBoer, being a great quarterback coach and a good um, often, you know, really good offensive guy, it's just speaking of his experience at Fresno, it's almost like you could tell he really targeted getting, you know, Penix. And I'm, I'm afraid that he maybe has the attitude of like, Oh, if I just, if I can go get my quarterback and then a couple guys that can get open, like we, we can do okay here. But my concern is like, you know, in the, in the week to week grind of a more power five conference that he's overlooking the need for kind of the bodies in the front seven on defense and, and that front five, six on, on, on offense if you will. And I, and I wonder if that's going to be a little bit of a, a wake up call for him next year. I'm not saying he's failing, but I'm just wondering if the attitude's like, let me focus on getting a QB that can do it here. And then I can, I can make that work. So. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's a cause for concern. He is supposedly, I mean, uh, I don't know if he's retaining Huff, the offensive line coach, but he was pretty good except this year. They typically had a pretty good offensive line, defensive line, they're supposedly talking to uh, I, I butcher his name, Anoki from Vanderbilt, who was at Wisconsin and recruited really well. So I think he's looking at the coaches. Uh, but to your point, yeah, that's a concern. The best coaches that in UW's history have had good defenses. So mm-hmm. you're not going to win. I mean, as much as Cody loves Steve Sarkeesian. And I love Steve Sarkeesian. We barked for Sark. Um, you know, they they would win seven, eight games because they didn't particularly have great defenses, you know. Yes. And it, this team has a lot of – much like Oregon, UW's got a lot of guys returning, mm-hmm. a lot of inexperience on the defensive side of the ball. So maybe there's some hope that – but, I mean, it's, it's concerning point. that you don't have a D coordinator. Yeah, I think that's my biggest concern is that, you know, I guess you, you would think – you would hope that after his first day on the job, he has a list of who he wants on his staff on a piece of paper and for it to be, you know, two and a half weeks later. And there's no, no sign that a 
coordinator hires imminent. It's kind of scary. Yep. All right. Dogs. Uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see where they land, you know, two months from now, if once all the transfer portal activity happens and stuff as well. So uh, at 11th, 85th nationally, uh, the Arizona state uh, Sun Devils, uh, they, you know, just below Georgia state um, in the rankings. Um, I think, before we talk too much about recruiting, I think the biggest news is that Jaden Daniels is coming back. Um, he's, you know, put out a little video saying he was coming back. They also have, I don't know if you guys remember this name, uh, defensive tackle Jermaine Lole. He was like an absolute animal. Um, his uh, two seasons ago, he had a triceps injury and missed this season. So he's going to be a stud for them in the front uh, again um, next year. Um, they've had, just for, for you know the, the immediate future, Rashad White has said he's done. He's going in the draft. He's not going to play in the bowl game. Uh, their starting cornerbacks, Jack Jones and Chase Lucas, have said the same. Um, and then Demonte Trainum, who's I would call, I would describe him as their number two back, is in the portable. So like going into this bowl game, uh, you know they're missing their two starting corners and their top two running backs. So that's interesting. John Wilner said major roster turnover is coming. Um, they're likely losing, I think Tyler Johnson and DJ Davidson, their two best players on the defensive line have said they're going in the draft. Um, so I think there's a lot of attrition of probably there. If you had to list their top 12 players, they might be losing four or five of them. Um, for very, you know, <clears throat> most of them going in the draft. So that's a concern. Uh, I mentioned last time we talked that Zach Hill, you know, there'd been whispers about maybe Auburn trying to poach him. Sounds like he's staying put. Um, so just to jump into recruiting, uh, like I said, 85th, eight commits, um, 3.1 star average, which isn't it's pretty, like, so it's, it's a pretty low, you know, it's not like they have eight, you know, four-star guys either, obviously with this rating, um, you know, you have to wonder, you know, all of the, <clears throat> all of the uncertainty about the staff, whether this NCAA investigation was going to, you know, some hammer was going to get dropped on the program and, and, or whether Herm would, would be around. Um, you know, I think that had to hurt their efforts to, to recruit this year. Um, you know, I mentioned, you know, the losses at cornerback. I think they're losing their entire starting secondary to, to graduation slash NFL. Um, and so in just in terms of meeting needs, they've got a, a three-star transfer from Illinois and then a three-star safety from Sumner, Washington, Tristan Dunn. So like com coming in. And so like they their biggest need, I don't think they met either. So that's also an issue. Um, Tristan Dunn also didn't sign. I think you mentioned that. So right. I, I wouldn't consider anybody that didn't sign a done deal, right? He's so. yeah, he's yeah, done deal. Yeah, he's uh <laughs> he's uh still listed as a hard commit, but yeah, you're right, hasn't signed. Um so hard commit doesn't really mean much anymore. Um in terms of just to be you know somewhat positive, I mentioned the running backs are missing. They signed a four-star running back named Tevin White from Stafford, Virginia. He's been committed for a really long time. He's stuck. Um, he had offers from Georgia, Tennessee, Penn State, 6'1", 200. He's not huge, 
he's one of those guys that like does everything well. Watch, like watch his highlights. He's like he he can run between the tackles. He can run off the edge. But he actually he you know he was lining up everywhere. He he lined up as outside wide receiver lined up in the slot. He's got great hands, so um, he's going to be a valuable guy uh, for them. You know, just you know, they missed on. Uh, they had a four-star adult defensive lineman from Scottsdale just up the road, uh, Anthony Lucas, that headed to AM. So that was probably their maybe the, the toughest miss for them. So yeah, disappointing. I, I think Herman was trying to paint it like, well, we didn't lose that many guys, but I, I don't see how. Like I mentioned, I, they're losing a ton of their top guys. So maybe they don't have that many roster spots, but um, yeah, this doesn't seem like. Uh, so far in off season where their roster is getting deeper and stronger. So that's my overall evaluation on, on ASU. Um, I just want to say real quick, I, this seems really disappointing to me for a team that really ended up, I know there was uncertainty, but they essentially had no coaching turnover and had a decently strong start to their year. At one point was, was in the race for the PAC 12 South is supposed to have a bunch of recruiters and, you know, Antonio Pierce and different things. And, and now they're sitting with the 85th ranked class in a place that you'd think would be desirable to recruit to this. It seems like a major disappointment. Something's off. To them. Yeah. Well, some of their more avid recruiters were placed on indefinite leave. And I believe Pierce was actually, he was allowed to recruit, but not allowed to travel for recruiting. Like they, they put, kind of put the reins on him. So True. Okay. Yeah. There was just maybe a little too much smoke uh, around the program this year. So we'll see if they can kind of turn that around. Um, or maybe, maybe now that there's, there's a little, you know, there's some, some public support for Herm from the AD and stuff. Maybe, maybe things will, will get fixed. Um, Jump to our next uh, mild disaster. <clears throat> 10th in the pac 12. 82nd nationally, just below Ball State, the University of Southern California Trojans. Um, you know, in terms of like team news, I think the biggest thing obviously is that Keaton Slovis is in the transfer portal. You know, he um, was essentially a three-year starter, had had injuries that knocked him out at multiple times throughout his time here. Um, you know, bittersweet. He, you know, we've had an incredible freshman year where he, you know, no one expected everyone basically expected him to be a career backup three-star guy from Arizona. You know, he's coming in after JT Daniels was clearly cemented as a starter and his first game as a true freshman, JT Daniels goes down with a horrible, you know, knee injury and he steps in and starts just slinging the rock. Like, no fear, no, no anxiety, just super confident. It was just, you know, awesome. I mean, he was never perfect. Um, he definitely, um, even in that first season made some mistakes and stuff like you'd expect, but, um, had a, had a lot of promise. Um, and it really just never got better from there. I mean, which is crazy to say because last year he was the PAC 12 offensive player of the year as a sophomore, but, um, you know, just, you know, last year it was digging himself a hole every game and then, you know, amazing fourth quarter comebacks and absolutely lights out ice in his veins performances, but just also super frustrating that he puts put the team in those situations. And then this year, more up and down. I just, you know, 
I don't think he ever got the type of quarterback coaching he needed. So I would, I, you know, he doesn't care what I think, but I really do wish him the best. I hope he goes somewhere uh, to play. So I, I hope he, he has one more, you know, solid, at least one more solid season in college and, um, you know, gets to hold a clipboard in the league. I, he doesn't have a can of an arm, but he, he can make some throws. So I think he's got a chance to be, you know, like kind of that Davis Mills fifth, sixth round pick and hang around on a roster. So um, other stuff with SC, non-recruiting related. I mean, it's just the, the staff under Riley is, you know, pretty, pretty solid, but there's still a little bit of murkiness. Dante Williams, it sounds like he's going to be retained, which he, he will likely be the only member of the staff to stay on. Um, I think that's great long-term for recruiting. And I, I think that the players will be happy with that. Um, but it's like, it's not clear what role he's going to have because I think the cornerbacks coach for that uh, Riley had at Oklahoma is also on staff. So it's, it's still kind of fuzzy what's going on there. Um, you know, jumping into the recruiting class. I mean, there was just, uh, there were multiple decommitments through the season as the wheels were clearly falling off this program. Um, and then once Riley got hired, you know, there's a uh, noticeable number of decommitments two to three days after the hire, which were clearly uh, in my, in my estimation, clearly, Hey, uh, I know you might've envisioned yourself at this program, but we think you might want to look at other options, son. Um, so um, lots, lots of guys out of this class only, only have six commitments, a, a pretty high average. They do already have one five-star. I think it's the only five stars signed by any, any team in the conference, at least under the two, four, seven rankings, but. Um, There's a smugness morning right now. Yeah. It's a small class. It does not meet. Uh, I'm, I'm giving it a D um, th- because it does have some, a couple of elite playmakers, but you know, six guys um, and you could call it incomplete. Um, there's a five-star cornerback from modern day, Damani Jackson, who was previously committed to SC. It's now kind of down to SC in Alabama. He's actually going to announce tomorrow. So this could immediately go from a D to a C minus, <laughs> call it tomorrow. Um and then there's there's some other you know elite West Coast talent that's still available. We'll see we'll see what happens. Um, I think one I, of the- I think I, I think I was just gonna say like you know the biggest issue that has been is on on this roster is offensive and defensive line, and there's nothing in this class so far to address that. Uh, so I don't know if that is poor execution or if it's we need immediate help and that we're not going to get that recruiting 18, 17, 18 year old kids. So we're going to have to go find it in the portal. I don't know. That, that's my, that's my pump and sunshine version of it is that they're being strategic about it, but who knows? What yeah, I guess, say, Nate? That was the interesting piece to me. I, I think is just um, one of the things that under Clay Helton that USC had continued to do pretty well was, was recruit like defensive backs. Right. And so you look at this class and it's small, which a lot of classes are. So at this point, you know, it's only a half halfway point. It's fine. Halfway point. And then also the other thing I've been reading is that um, because there's so many, these super seniors, mm-hmm. their programs are actually like 
having to choose, you know, they're having to have selectively smaller classes because right. in order to take more kids, they would actually have to tell someone to train to transfer out or graduate out. So sorry, Nate, what are you saying? Well, I say, you know, even if then uh, Damani Jackson comes back, three of your four highest rated guys in are all are secondary again, you know, which is something that they've done well. And like you said, the, the point is like in, until Lincoln can beef up those lines, it's, it's going to be in the front seven, really on defense, it's going to be a little bit of a rough going, I think until he can do that. And so it's going to be really interesting to, to watch the way he hits the portal uh, in January, February to try and kind of. Yeah. Get linebacker core is also really, really weak. Um, biggest get to talk about uh, Relique Brown. He's a, a five-star running back for modern day. He's kind of like feels like kind of a third down back type of guy because he's, he's smaller. You know, people have compared him to like Anthony Thomas, which I, I don't think is a fair comparison. He's probably a little bit bigger and more physical than Anthony was and doesn't have that quite that. Um, like I don't hardly anyone I've ever seen has the gear that Anthony Thomas had in terms of just pure burst. Um, but you know he's going to be going to be a guy that they're going to they're going to line up all over the field, and um, I, I would I would expect him to touch the ball 15 times a game next year. He's going to be that much of an impact player, so that's awesome. Uh, on a, on the miss side, there's plenty of them. And, you know, guys uh, in California that did not, did not sign with SC. Um, I just mentioned Michael Williams. He was a defensive end who was committed for a long time out of Georgia, and then obviously just had seen enough of the mess and decided to, to back off his commitment. And he signed with Georgia, but he would have been just the kind of player USC needs up front on defense. So, okay. Moving on from SC, uh, Tim, would you like to talk about the ninth ranked uh, Pac-12 recruiting class for the Washington State University Cougars? Yes. And I don't want to be any claims of being biased towards Washington. I mean, we spent five plus minutes talking about Washington and five plus Se- minutes talking about I should, I should, to you up 72nd nationally just behind miami of ohio yeah well you know that's uh you know the bottom four teams all had something in common three of the four new coaches and the fourth arizona state you know threats of a new coach throughout the season yeah possibly so i mean that's usually why these teams are at the bottom of the list wazoo always is you know i won't not maybe not this far down but they're they're typically you know, I mean, what do they do? They develop, they run their system. Uh, is, 11- this, is this is the single hardest physical location to recruit, to get yeah. kids to recruit to. Yeah. And it has pro- easily the weakest local talent pool because it's just not a highly populated area. It's not no shade yeah. against Eastern Washington. There's just not, not no, a lot of people an hour that and physically a half live there. Can, you know, the second yeah. biggest city, but I mean, yeah, it's, it, it's a drive to get there. Even if you find there is an airport, but yes. <laughs> 11 players signed. They flipped the tight end. I mean, they haven't been running a tight end in a decade. Andre Dollar from, you know where he was going to go, Nate? The University of Oregon. The University of Oregon. So, I mean. I don't want this to sound like sour grapes, but yeah. there, there are, there, Andre Dollar was definitely connected to Mario Cristobal. And I don't think he had a lot of contact with coach Dan Lanning after the, the switch over. So that might've been a mutual parting of ways. You know, regardless if he was going to go to Wazoo or Oregon, he was going to make the wrong choice. But um, <laughs> uh, that Jeez. that was their uh, big one. 
Um, they lost now Arizona, who we'll talk about a little later. They lost defensive lineman Ta Itia Uega Lele. I probably butchered that terribly. He flipped. Probably. <laughs> I tried to, I tried to, yeah, no, I'm, I, the problem is I had never heard the name. I've just read the name. When I hear the name, I can usually not butcher it as bad, but yes. Um, Mr. Ida, uh, cause he is going to go to, uh, Arizona, as we mentioned, they kept, uh, Tariq Al- Ugdra, Ukta, yeah, yeah. Uh, who committed in February? SC was coming for him, so held on, held on to him. Yeah, held on to him. So, what, um, what would what would you give this class like a letter grade? You know, I, you know, I I was very I, I I come across as a Wazoo fan, right? I mean, I gave their coaching hire a very good uh, good grade. Uh, this one, I, I'll give a B, right? We don't know. 11 commits, not they usually get 20. But I will say this I did hear today, Delora might be getting a little bit of a wandering eye. Really? Yeah. And, and it's not like he doesn't I, want to play in the air raid. Yeah. That, and, and this came on KJR in Seattle by a Wazoo alum. So it's not just, you know, me listening to Husky fans on the radio. So. I don't know if that was, I don't know how much, you know, I heard that, but I hadn't seen much about that. So, well, he was one of the people that most publicly supported Rolovich and was disappointed when, very true, when that happened. So, but, and I, and I did notice that they also lost a decommitment from their QB in this class. Yes. Adrian, Adrian Lara, who was, and decent. he hasn't signed yet. Um, okay. The other thing, the other thing too is the Laura originally, I believe, was he was he a leech recruit? Maybe not. I guess he would have. He might have been a Rolovich, but yeah. I mean, I know he committed to Rolovich, but it was Leach doing the work on him. If that, he was planning to go to an air raid at first. So we shall see. Um, would you like me to roll into Cal now? Yeah. So number eight, fifty uh, fifth. Well, let's hear. Do we know? Do we know anything about the staff that Dickert is starting to put together? Has he done any of that? Do we? Do any of us know anything about that? Well. He signed Brian Ward as defensive coordinator from uh, Nevada. Uh, brought in Pete Caligas, a U alum, to be his uh, defensive tackles coach. Okay. Um, offensive coordinator Eric War- Eric Morris from Incarnate. What was that? What was the name Incarnate of the Incarnate Word? Incarnate Word. Word. That's right. Yeah. Uh, who's going to run an air raid type system? So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say of all the new coaches, he was kind of like I would say he assembled his staff the most most quickly quick yeah. um yeah and also but he didn't have to i mean he didn't have a ton of positions to recruit either you know or recruit you know high. he had some guys that were staying under yeah. him yeah but the offensive coordinator was changed so yeah so okay. you know solid solid b for the cougs yeah solid b for the cougs but now we go to Cal, which apparently a better program than the University of Oregon. Um, so 55th nationally, just above Marshall, below BYU, fit, uh, 13 commits. Yes. And their, um, their big loss, uh, they lost lineman Dominic Williams. Um, 
Well, no, they they had him. He was gonna go to TCU. Sorry, it said loss. It was gonna go to TCU. Cal flipped to TCU, then stayed with Cal. So that's one of their big ones. Um, but they also flipped um, a running back from Nebraska. Excuse me, uh, Jay Knott. So yeah, they. Um, I, I don't know. It is a Cal is interesting because they. Sign, or excuse me, Ashton Hayes. Jay Knott was their top recruit. Ashton Hayes is the one from that flipped from Nebraska to Cal. They're signing a lot of offensive players, but this has not been, as Nate alluded to earlier, a good offensive staff. But uh, running backs, offensive tackles. I mean, I'm just going to say the thing I feel like I say every week when I talk about Cal. They do not have an elite quarterback, and I, I don't see one in this recruiting class that's going to change that, you know? Nope. Uh there isn't one in this class and Garbers is leaving for the NFL. Yeah. So. Or the CFL. Well, I was going to say he, he's leaving the NFL is in question <laughs> or, or the USFL. So yeah. Um, you know, Jaden, not 25th running back in the nation. I mean, that's a good sign signing, but uh, three top 500 guys, but um but, I mean, I mean to, your, to your point about a grade, I mean, quarterback is the most important position. They don't have a quarterback. They've had horrendous – I mean, they're playing a quarterback from Penn. Got to give this uh, a D. A D? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, like, you know, it's it, it's a balanced class. It's got – kind of hits every position group, if you will, but except for the one they need the most. So, okay. All right, Nate. You're up next, number seven in the Pac-12, 49th nationally, the Oregon State Beavs. The Oregon uh, State Beavers, yeah. Um, uh, just above the University right. of Florida Gators. Wow. Well, I guess the first thing we should get to is not a lot of turnover at Oregon State among their, their coaching staff. Um, they did name interim defensive coordinator Trent Bray is, is officially the – the guy, so they stuck with him, and so they'll they'll have one spot to kind of hire out of. And I think they, I mean, visibly improved yeah. um, the the minute he took over. I think their last three games they played markedly better defense. So yeah, that seems definitely. that seems to be, you know, not just an easy hire, but might be the right hire. It's pretty. I would say it's a pretty young roster. As you look at the the, re, the returning people, you know, they're going to lose Trevin Bradford, wide receiver, has been there for a while on. On offense, they lose, um, I, you know, a couple offensive linemen uh, up front that they'll have to replace. Maybe three if if one person kind of decides to step away. Because that COVID year, there's one guy in the line that could come back, but not everybody that wants that sixth year, you know. So, I mean, if you're BJ Baylor, you've got, you know, you put together a nice season. He's, you know, he'd be coming back for a fifth year. Six, if I was, with COVID, right? If I was, if I was in his family, I'd be advising him to go. I mean, he's 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 put the miles on, but you got you got to figure he has his degree, he has the miles. I it seems like he can at least land with the team for a couple of years, get that NFL money for two or three years. Yeah, know? I mean, they've the Deshaun Fenwick had a nice year for them as well. It's not like they would be completely up a creek in the yeah. running back room, but uh, I don't know. To me, I would that would be the biggest thing maybe you know post bowl game to watch is does bj baylor stick around but they have depth of the position the the question is they have anybody in the room that can be what bj baylor 
um, yeah. you know, has, has been uh, Trey Lowe did some decent stuff for them also. The yeah. Fenwick, is, Fenwick averaged like 5.7, but yeah. No, it's a Go young ahead. defense. I think you got to give them credit. They, I think they lose maybe two guys from the, from the, the starting two deep on, on defense. you got a young defense coming back. Uh, a lot of, a lot of continuity, which plays well, I think in college when you, when you turn towards their class, um, you know, they're, they're excited about the edge rusher, you know, in terms of a, you know, a big position these days in terms of getting that pass rush from, from, uh, from Oaks Christian, um, Matthias Malaki Donaldson is his, is his name. And I know that's something that they're, but really in, in this class, you know, you get the running back from Louisville, Texas, name's Damian Martinez, who, you know, could add more depth at that position, as we mentioned, but I think it's likely that they lose, um, uh, Baylor, as you mentioned, but you're going to get Chase Nolan back for at least one more year, maybe, maybe two more years since he, he doesn't have any NFL measurables, you know? And so I think he can technically stay for two more years. You add a QB in this class, Travis Throckmorton from, uh, Simi Valley, California. So you get your QB in there. So I think they did a nice job of, of mixing up, you know, it's, it's not like 16 commits and like 13 defensive linemen, you know, you got, uh, four or five O linemen. You got two or three defensive linemen. You got about three DBs, uh, a couple of receivers, a running back, a QB. So they did a nice job spreading it out. There's not a ton of, at least as two four seven or as the recruiting rankings, right? There's not a lot of dynamic players. In, I think that's that's what feels missing is wide receiver, or just you know, you know, skill guys on the outside. Hey, um, quick correction, guys. It's twenty four seven. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, th- 20, I think we are pronu- we're, we're officially pronunciation agnostic on that topic. <laughs> but, well, um, I, but to I, your to point, me, hold on, Cody. I was going to circle back to this real quick. Let me say it. Yeah, please. It, it is, seems to be a staple of Jonathan Smith to try and hit the portal for some of those guys. So Tyjon Lindsay, um, the kid, his, name's, his name is escaping me, but he was punching people in the Civil War. From Florida State, uh, they pulled from the transfer portal. So they've they've been known not called the Civil War anymore. I'm sorry, that's true. (laughs) The game previously referred to as Civil War. So they've been known to try and go get kind of that explosion player or two in the portal. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, I was just I to me that's you know you want they're obviously run first offense or at least they have been. You just would like to you know to me this seemed like something they lacked. I mean, Tyjon Lindsay electric speed but just didn't ever seem to consistently come up with big plays game after game i just think they, they kind of need a, a stud wide receiver and I, I don't see that necessarily in this class but we'll see um one other thing just looking at this list you know got guys out of florida got guys out of texas multiple guys from i think they have three recruits from florida uh, at least two from texas several from washington you know, they, just, they their staff was you know Get, mm-hmm. putting on the miles uh to put this class together so um yeah and they held on to their guys you know there was a couple of guys that got pushed by more local places when when those places maybe missed on higher targets tar- it circled back to their guys and they they were able to hold on where in the past like that that hasn't always happened you know when the big program came came calling so i think you give beavers credit i think that they'll be good again next year again they're going to need to your point they're going to need to find a couple playmakers they're going to need a, They're going to need someone to step into Baylor's role if he steps away. I'm not saying he's going to, and then they're going to need 
uh, obviously, you know, Chance Nolan to, to play well. But otherwise, I, I think they return enough to have continuity and be competitive in the Pac-12 North next year. Did you say, did you give them a letter grade and I missed it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would call it based on their expectations, I'd call this a B. Uh, okay. It's lacking explosion players. You know, I, I don't, I don't think it's fair to, uh, to, you know, expect a top 20 class at Oregon state, if that makes yeah. sense. So I, I think I'm trying to grade them against maybe what the general expectations like would be at a I mean, last year they had the 109 ninth ranked recruiting class, pretty, you know, pretty small class. And even the year before that, the, the 53rd ranked class. And then the year before that's so when Jonathan Smith's tenure, um, the class before that was 52nd. So this is highest rated recruiting class at 49. Nice balanced class. So based on their expectation, I'd say B, B plus, probably just missing any true playmakers. If he makes a splash or two or three in the transfer portal, I think it's a nice off season. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they, they probably need to start thinking about the next quarterback, but I guess with the transfer portal, it's easy to find, easier to find these days. Yeah. All right, Tim. Uh, 48 nationally six in the pack 12 i'm actually oh. on colorado yeah. oh Nate, i'm i'm sorry i'm on yeah. colorado I'm, right i'm sorry. arizona baby sorry no 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 you're good we don't we, we don't yeah i gotta go far only one, one spot up to I colorado a, I, I had it in my notes right i just had a moment of dyslexia uh yeah nate uh, tell us about colorado and what's going on there okay. forgiven yeah um so interesting is we know that they had a little bit more turnover through the year that are uh, in the middle of the year, I should say their offense was not highly productive, was not highly thought upon. And so they, um, you know, terminated uh, Mitch Rodriguez and uh, Dar uh, Darren Chevarini, uh, the yep. offensive coordinator and the line coach. As far as I could tell, they have not made any hires, which I thought was interesting. So those guys have been gone since like, well, I think the O-line coach since early November and Chevarini since probably their last game since like Thanksgiving. So Pretty interesting that they didn't try and make a hire before early signing day. I guess they were just content sticking with the the, the staff that um, that they have. But otherwise, you know, it's this is they also have a somewhat young roster. I mean, it's you know we we talked about on this podcast. Brandon Lewis is a freshman uh, at quarterback. We probably expect him to be back. Hopefully, be better with good coaching. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Brendan Lewis at quarterback. It's Brendan Rice yep. at receiver. Yep. Both freshmen, though. A pair of Brendans. But you return most everyone except for a couple linemen. They're gonna they're gonna lose a couple offensive linemen. And then on the defensive side of the ball, um, they lose one linebacker. Everybody else, unless they suffer some transfers, they they expect back. Um, so a lot of returning players, a lot of continuity on the coaching staff, at least on the defensive side of the ball. And then you look at this this uh, this class. I mean, you got to point out they got they went and got a quarterback from Texas, Owen, you know, McCown from kind of rural Rusk, Texas, if you will. Um, and then uh, you know a couple uh, wide receivers, uh, also from Allen, Texas. And well, I guess he's listed as an athlete, but I think he's going to play receiver. Grant Page from from the Boulder area, from the from the local area, if you will. Um, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, I think they got depth at some of the positions they need. You know, I said they're losing a lineman. You always got to beef up the lines. They went and got a few linemen. Um, but same as Oregon State, I think you got a big class. You got 18 guys, one more committed. The average rating was a little lower. But, you know, I think Colorado is a, a program that probably expects themselves to 
you know, recruit and then develop guys for a couple of years. So I don't know that anybody jumps out as someone who's going to jump in and make like a real difference maker next year. Yeah. I don't know. I was kind of like looking through some of them. I'm sure there's some defensive guys that will plug in and play snaps, but not, not anybody you're looking at to be like offensive, you know, uh, fresh starting left year. tackle. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not what I would expect kind of from, from this group. Um, you know, they suffered a couple like decommitments, uh, right at the end. So a guy from Connecticut, Kenny soars kind of de- decommitted on them and then an offensive tackle here and there. So they, they, um, but mostly they, they closed on the guys that, that they would, that you would have expected. I curious if they'll be active in the transfer portal looking for playmakers or not. Yeah, what do you, what do you think this offense needs? Is it, is it, like skill guys on the outside that can they can break tackles or you know get get loose on deep routes like well, do they you know, need they, they better, return better offensive linemen to, to block they return Jarek Broussard and Alex Fontenot at the at the backs that we've both said are, are we think are decent players so it seems like they need an identity uh, and they either need a line that can push people around or they're going to need, uh, you know, Brendan Lewis to really improve and give them an identity in the past game. Cause we pointed out that even this year, even when they were able to run the ball, they really lacked any sort of passing identity. And so obviously they let go of, uh, you know, Cheverini and the offensive line coach. And it seems like they're going to look for a new identity on, on offense. Yeah. So, and I'll be curious to see which direction they go with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, moving up to number five in the Pac-12, 46 nationally, you know, just a couple spots up from Colorado, UCLA Bruins. I think, uh, you know, biggest non-recruiting news, or you can call it recruiting news, uh, just I think came out today. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, uh, former UCF quarterback, is transferring in. I read that I mean, apparently DGR technically has another year of eligibility. I think he's, you know, he's played four years, but last year didn't count. So he could theoretically come back. Uh, I would assume based on this transfer that Chip does not expect him to do that. Um, you know, Dylan Gabriel or until Gabriel does not expect Dorian Thompson Robinson to do that either. Um, you know, 2019 and 2020, he threw for more than 3000 yards, um, 61% completion rate in his career 70 touchdowns the only 14 interceptions like he's a good he's a really good you know quarterback coming from you know non-power five conference um you know I'd be just as excited about him as i was about charlie brewer <laughs> you know going to utah but um you know that's that's big news it seems like you know i talked this season about how i was pretty underwhelmed with with Ethan Garber. So I think this is big news for them, especially if DTR was, you know, planning to try his hand in the NFL. Um, you know, minor coaching change the their outside linebackers coach moved there, you know, joined the Arizona staff, Jason Kafusi. Um, but no, no major staff attrition. Um, had mentioned previously like 10 guys, you know, outgoing in the portal. I don't think any of those were huge regrettable losses, but, um, certainly they need to replace those, um, in, in the, in the portal probably as well. Um, looking at the class that they brought in, you know, I'm, I'm giving you a C and I think as we've been talking about this classes 
you know, this, like I said, this is the fifth raised class. There's obviously many classes that, you know, by, by the standards of these different talent evaluators, people think are worse. I'm, I'm rating, grading UCLA on a curve based on their physical location in the city of Los Angeles and what should be expected of them um, to, to they have a magnificent campus <laughs> um, and a really good school and tons of talent nearby. Like this is should not be a super difficult place to recruit to. Um, you know, I think the C includes, I'm, I'm kind of including Gabriel in that a little bit. Um, that's a huge transfer in. Chip had in his kind of signing day presser said that this class would be smaller because he thinks they, they do have a lot of those fifth year guys that they think are going to use that option to return. Maybe not DTR, but some of the other guys. So they, I think they, in a normal year where you'd expect some of these defensive players to, to graduate and leave, they're, they're expecting to keep them. So smaller class with, you know, 11 signees today, as of today, um, biggest get for them, Kamari Ramsey safety out of Sierra Canyon. They actually kind of flipped him last minute from Stanford. Um, so that's huge. I think they're, they're losing potentially some, some of their experience in the secondary. Um, so that's kind of a, he's their highest rated player and at a position of need. So that's huge for them. Um, I think the biggest miss to, to mention uh, Ephesians price sock kid, kid they'd offered out of Bishop Alamany actually chose Arizona over, over UCLA. And like I said, they, they, I think they need a lot of, a lot of bodies in the secondary going forward. So, so that's tough. Um, so I, I gave them a C. I, I think that um, there's some good players in this class. They got Jack, Jack Peterson, um, really nice tight end. Um, they've, they've got some playmakers, Justin Martin, a four-star quarterback um, out of Inglewood. So it's not a bad class. I'm not trying to talk it down, but I just think, you know, there's too many guys from California that went, you know, that are going to the SEC or to Notre Dame or to the Big Ten um, and they, 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 that UCLA probably would have liked to have. So. Yeah, I really like that Justin Martin signing. He, he's a player that I, I, I think he has a lot of potential if he's able to sit for a couple of years and learn under someone who coaches uh, quarterbacks. Well, I mean, he has the size, he has the arm, he has the tools. So he might not be there yet, but I think that's a guy with a, a lot of upside. He's a big dude, 6'4". So. Mm -hmm. Okay. One thing um, I noticed real quick, can I just say what, like, yeah, please. You, UCLA's had a lot of people transfer out. I don't know if you noticed that. I'm just yeah, like yeah. counting here ten. in the portal. Ten, did you say that already? Yeah, 10, ten guys yeah. transferred. That's a lot. So just in the last two months, right? Since basically Halloween. So yeah. No like gut wrench. A lot of these guys had, you know, maybe mm -hmm. five, 10 tackles on the season, but it definitely eats away at your depth, right? So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, just as, for for a team that didn't si sign a big class a lot of transfer outs yeah so. I th they're going to need some some inflow to, to offset that for sure um okay i'm going to jump to I've, I've got the next school as well uh university of utah coming in at number four 36 nationally um you know in terms of you know non-recruiting related news um tj pledger Britton Covey, Devin Lloyd are all names that have said that they're headed to the NFL. Um, but I believe all those guys are playing in the Rose Bowl. 
Um, and I, I, I spent some time researching this. Brant Keithy, tight end, um, who probably has a, a pretty solid you know, NFL career ahead of him. Uh, and Tavion Thomas as well. Those are guys that, you know, very well could go pro. They haven't announced their decisions, but they're, they're all playing in the Rose Bowl. And I think, you know, I think it speaks to a couple of things, probably one to the culture that Whittingham has built with this program that, you know, Devin Lloyd, let's be real. Like that is the absolute opposite of a business decision. The dude is going to be a top 12 pick in the draft. If he were to have a, serious lower leg injury like you know i'm not wishing that on him at all i just you know i, I hope he has a plays a great game stays healthy but like it's a huge risk yeah almost, but it's also this is utah's first rose bowl i, I think that's what i was saying is i think it's, it's i think it's the culture and i think utah is ecstatic about being in this rose bowl and the, the players are ecstatic about it and so i think it's was, cool yeah i think it's, it's great if this was the Jimmy Fallon Bowl, no, I did not make that up. If this was the Jimmy <laughs> Fallon Bowl, I'd imagine he's sitting it out. So, yeah, it, it's it's it is the Rose Bowl for sure. But at the same time, uh, we're talking about potentially losing out on thirty million dollars <laughs> for for you know two and a half hours of joy out there. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's cool. That, you know, they're 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 starting to practice for the Rose Bowl. I think they're kind of play, practicing every other day and doing, you know, final exams and stuff. So they're kind of just slowly ramping up for that. The school is like excited about it. The they've the AD is guessing that they'll have 60,000 Utah fans at the Rose Bowl. Like they're going to be a majority of the stadium, which when you're playing Ohio State says something about um, how excited Utah is to be there. So that's pretty cool. Um, look at this class. Uh, I gave it a B plus. I mean, I, I think it's it's a really good class. It's kind of right right around where Utah has been the last four or five years in that you know low to mid thirties nationally. Um, I think if they want to compete for national championships, they're going to have to do better than that. I mean, frankly, they're going to have to start pulling more elite out of state guys, either out of California or Texas or something, but. Um, you know, Winningham is having plenty of success in the Pac-12 with this type of class and these kind of type of guys. Um, they had some really solid linebacker recruits last year that didn't really contribute a ton. Um, and the you know biggest get for them this year, top of their you know class is Lander Barton. He's the younger brother of Cody Barton, who's playing for the Seahawks now, but a former Utah star. Um, and Winningham says that he's way more ready to play than, than his big brother was coming in. So um, expect to hear, expect he's probably not going to be a starter next year, but probably, you know, maybe second string and um, making plays on special teams next year. So uh, keep an eye out for his, uh, his name. Um, I, they also got a quarterback who fits them perfectly. Uh, Nate Johnson out of, I think uh, Clovis high school, I believe is in like the Fresno area. Um, he's like a very mediocre passer. He went to the elite 11, like Los Angeles regional and was like 19th out of 20 in the passing drills, but he is an absolute burner, um, like a regional champ in the hundred meter dash and in the long jump, um, just a great athlete. And so, um, 
you know, we've talked about Utah's style of offense and what they like to do. And, you know, I think they can have plenty of success with a guy that's just a really good athlete with, you know, playing behind a strong offensive line, physical offensive line. Um, what else? Biggest miss for them? I, I think I think those are the two biggest gets. You know, Nate Johnson, quarterback, Lander Barton, uh, linebacker. Biggest miss, Isaiah Moa. Uh, I think he's a kind of a tweener, defensive end, outside linebacker from Ogden, Utah. He was a four-star guy that um, they had committed, and he flipped to BYU in the fall. Um, so that I don't think they ever like losing guys to BYU. So. Uh, but like I said, solid class. Give, I give it a B plus, um, you know, especially because probably have probably probably staying their quarterback two years from now in this class. Uh, they, they're they're set with Cam Rising for at least another season. But. I just say I I think yeah it, it's it, it's a B plus relative to what Utah typically does, but it, it feels a little disappointing to me, like relative to the fact that. They're about to send someone into the draft, a first-round pick. It's a Rose Bowl. I don't know. I just thought they might capitalize on it. I think they have so much to sell in terms of – I think if you looked at the – you know, Whittingham commented about, you know, comparing the rankings of the players they supposedly sign to the number of guys they put in the league. They're one of the Mm best-rated programs in terms of developing their guys. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and you would think that eventually kind of like, uh, you know, how, you know, guys go to places like Alabama because they expect to be, you know, molded into future NFL players that, that that reputation would start to maybe, you know, get some out of state guys to come out there. But I mean, this is, this is the type of talent that will have him com- consistently competing for the South. If they want to set their sights higher, if they want to be back in the Rose Bowl regularly, I think they're going to have to do more than this, but it's a, it's a solid class. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think what, what's crazy is, you know, we're talking to talk about these last three teams, two of these top, two of these three teams that we're talking about with the best recruiting rankings the two worst teams in the conference this past year, I think, uh, almost inarguably. So let's talk about one of those. Third in the conference, 35th nationally, ahead of Utah, ahead of Rose Bowl entrant Utah, the University of Arizona Wildcats, Tim. Yes, 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 the Wildcats. And I'm going to start off by saying this might be an A. Might be an A class. I think I think it has to be. Yeah. I mean, like you said, they're 35th so far. It's not, not officially done. But uh, last year, they had one top 1,000 recruit. This year, they have 10, including yeah. the previously mentioned Ephesians Prysock, uh, Kian Burnett, a tight end from Anaheim, Sterling Deuce Lane, a four-star linebacker. So three four-stars, a bunch of three stars, a lot of um, skill players, edge rushers, offensive, defensive line, kind of hit everything. Not seeing cornerback. Uh, well, Price Sox cornerback, but, uh, you know, kind of hitting everything. No no safeties. Uh, not a running back either. Oh, yeah, they got Col- Coleman's a running back. So, yeah, uh, losing one transfer, DJ Warnell, 
to UCLA. Or no, the bringing in DJ Warnell. Sorry. Um, the class could have been better, though. They lost Kion Graves, who signed with Ohio State, uh, wide receiver. Safety Zeke Berry signed with Michigan. So hard to beat out those schools, especially when you're coming off, like you said, being one of the worst teams. Um, yeah. And then I would focus on the positive, though. I mean, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Keon Burnett, he was at one time, I believe, committed to SC, as was Kevin Green. Ephesians Price Sock has offers from, you know, the entire West Coast. Like, they're, they clearly are selling kids on either the opportunity or, you know, the fact that they're building something there and we're going to, we're going to play our butts off in this program, win or lose, which they they did this year. They, they put that on the field. They are a poor man's version of what Oregon's going to do. Right. I mean, with, and I don't mean that as a shot. (laughs) I don't know what you mean by that. No, but I mean, having just recruiters all across the board and we'll let the, Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll see. Cause I mean, their defensive coordinator, Johnny Nansen, who Brennan Carroll. Yeah. Offensive coordinator. You know, now, Obviously, Dan Lanning has a lot more, uh, in my opinion, a better college football pedigree than Jed Fish, Seahawks quarterback, coach legend. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> Oregon's got better resources and all that stuff. But this is, you know, this is kind of this is kind of that model, right? We we have this and you look at this class, it's, you know, oversimplifying, but it's California guys and Arizona guys. Basically, I mean, they they kept some guys home and they went they went in Southern California and got. Got some good talent. That's what you're going to have to do, Arizona. That's what you're going to have to do. I thought this was extremely impressive, given what they've been and the product they put on the field and just all the injuries and the challenges they went through. The fact that they got guys, they sold them on a vision, like Cody said, and they got them to stick, the majority of those guys, to stick to those commitments. I I think it was a really impressive job. Yeah, I mean – it's, it's kind of a weird situation though, where, you know, like they just kind of went through, uh, they went through quarterbacks, like it was, they were in a Pez dispenser or something, you know, just like with injuries and stuff. I mean, Will Plummer, I think showed some real improvement and promise. I don't know that he, I don't know that you want him at the top of your depth chart. I feel like you want some a guy with a bigger cannon. He's definitely a gamer and tough and probably has the intangibles. So it's just a kind of a weird situation where they, they have like three guys that have gotten meaningful, some minutes this past season. I still don't know if they have, you don't need three quarter. It's kind of like the true, you know, if you have two quarterbacks, you, you don't have any quarterback. You're like, I don't know. Do they have the quarterback of the future? Is it Will Plummer? Did they, did, did they need a guy in this class? You know, is Tim, do you think that, uh, Noah Fafita from Servite in Anaheim is going to be the guy. What's what's the deal with quarterback next year, you think? I think they're going to go with Plummer, but, I mean, giving him a lot of reps this year as a freshman. But we'll see. This strikes, oh, oh, I was like, this strikes me as a team who's really going to try and go find someone in the portal if they think they can win now. That's what I was thinking, too. I mean. Um, to at least come compete with, with, with Plummer. Maybe a know. Dylan Morris type, if you will. But, uh, no. No. He, he could he could be out hey, he's, he's got he's got a win in tucson under his belt. There, there you go there you go <laughs> okay so in, in a I, I agree with you i mean i think it's it's a phenomenal job it's it's shocking um in a good way uh number two in the pac-12 31th nap 31st 31st nationally um 
Nate, you know, I, I, this is this is solid. I think it's just it's just hard when you saw where this class was, you know, two weeks ago and where they might have been with Cristobal closing on some guys. I think it's 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 very. Does it feel anything other than what might have been for this class? Well, you know, I I think this is one of those things that you have to remember. Like they didn't choose having Cristobal leaving, so this is kind of a little out of their hands, but. I think focusing first, like Landing's number one job was first recruiting the roster. Like Tim had mentioned earlier, there's a lot of talent. It's a lot of depth already on this roster. So if he can get guys to stick, he can win now and start to focus on, you know, next year's class with a bunch of great recruiters. So uh, I think that that was kind of his first job so far. There's only been two people that have gone into the portal uh, cornerback DJ James, and then uh, defensive tackle Jason Jones, who I think they'll fight to try and get back. He's going to be a good player. That's I think the Jason Jones is a big loss. Um, but interesting, no offensive guys in the portal yet, except for you know Seven McGee for about twenty five minutes. But then, and a and a, were, and a Pittman. Were, oh, but you know, I'm I'm sorry, I'm yes. saying that since in terms of news. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, Pittman is still in the portal. I don't know that he's welcome back. So. <laughs> when you quit on your boys, it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to come back, right? So, what did he release? Like a three part YouTube series on why he quit, which was basically that they don't throw the ball enough. I mean, it could have been it could have been half of a tweet, and he felt like he had to make a long multi cut video. His his future, I think, is just as much in lifestyle as it is in, in football. <laughs> so he kind of knows where his priorities are. But no, I think looking at the Oregon roster, it's really young. So you got a you got a you got a young squad um, with uh, you know a lot of guys that will be um, coming back next year. The majority of guys will come back next year. I mean, obviously you lose Anthony Brown, so the big thing is is you either got to hope one of the three freshman sophomores on the roster that are all four stars can either play or they got to go they got to go portal diving for a quarterback. Um, and then the, just released today, wide receiver uh, Devon Williams is going to leave for the draft. Now, how high does he go? I'm not sure, but I, I think just his personality wise, that that's not really uh, coaching change related. I think he was always planning to do that. I think it's just, he did his four years and I, I think he's planning to just go see what he can make of the NFL. So might still have a couple guys going to Trishan, but I think that, you know, you look at a team like Oklahoma when they had, you know, um, obviously Lincoln Riley leave for USC and they lost a lot of guys to the transfer portal. So Lanning's done a decent job of getting guys to stick right now that are already there. But turning the corner to this, um, oh, and then some coordinator um, things, I should say, before that, they've hired uh, Dillingham from um, Florida State, who's been with Norvell, uh, you know, both at Florida State and Memphis and, and previously served uh, under Norvell at uh, Arizona State. He's an Arizona guy from background, has a lot, of, I think, connections, so it should serve to help recruit that kind of blossoming uh, Arizona talent. And then they hired as, um, as OC, Kenny as OC as, yeah. yeah, offensive coordinator. And then hired um, Baylor safeties coach Matt Powledge as co defensive coordinator. Um, every single one of these guys, 35 years or younger. So hmm. Oregon, Oregon definitely went to the young and experienced, inexperienced side other than the. Uh, the experience side. So, yeah, so that, that was the, the route that they went. Like, like Tim said, they're, they're going after recruiters. There is a rumor that they are closing in on hiring Tosh Lapoy, 
who's hmm. you know big time college football recruiter, if you will. But he's a mercenary. Literally ever literally. moving, Josh Lapoy. <laughs> he rents, he doesn't buy. <laughs> so <laughs> but turning towards the class from there, um, obviously you gotta um uh, the big thing I think hanging out there is, um, I feel bad. I don't want to say his first name is Tetaroa. Is that you, Tetaroa? Tetaroa. Sounds Tetaroa. good. McMillan, T-Mac is what they call him, who seems coming from Servite. All, obviously, all of his buddies from Servite went to Arizona. And I think that there's a competition between Oregon and Arizona to try and either hold on to, to McMillan or to have him follow his buddies to Arizona. I think he's going to be a player. He's long and lean. He moves really well. He's, he's somebody, generally considered the best wide receiver in the state of California. I, I think he's somebody who could literally be a star at like corner or wide receiver. He's just one of those athletes, you know, that will find a way to make plays regardless of where you put him or how he plays. So I think that's going to be the big thing for Lanning to find a way to hold on or to reel him back in, losing Devon Williams to try and replace that playmaker like we've talked about. From the guys who signed uh, this past week, um, you got Jaleel Tucker, who's literally a track star, um, just speed for days. I think I, he has a chance to, I think, win the California 100 meters. Uh, He's a guy pretty much every Pac-12 team wanted. He's so, yeah, going to be a really good corner. I mean, he'll need to be developed at football, but he has that kind of speed in those hips that you can't teach, right? So, um, and then they got a guy, Devon Jackson. Devin Jackson is how you say it, actually, from uh, Omaha, uh, Good, sturdy, kind of inside linebacker. Harrison Taggart, same thing, uh, inside backer from, from Utah. And then they held on to some guys in, in the trenches from, from Utah, Michael Wooten, Ben Roberts. So, anyways, I, I think you he held on to some guys, has other guys we mentioned from Tualop. Dave Lully was the one who made the disparaging comment about UW. I think Oregon's going to try, <laughs> is going to try and hold on to him. Um, so, I, I think you really have to give this grade Cody an incomplete because I mean, you literally hired somebody 48 hours before early signing day. Uh, he yeah. held on to what he could. And then I think he's going to have to do a lot of evaluation of what's left, who sticks, who doesn't, does he look to find some other guys? Can he bring some guys from Georgia with him? And does he fill the rest kind of in the, in the, in the transfer portal? So the yeah. average rating of this class is good. They had to have a small class. The same reason that everybody has all these extra years. Oregon at this point, I think only has eight or nine open spots. So, yeah. um, and now of course more people will leave into the spring and stuff, but as it stands right now, there just wasn't room to sign a big class. Yeah. Lost some out of state guys. Once Mario stepped, you know, took the, took the Miami job, biggest loss being, uh, five-star tackle from Texas that Kelvin ended up signing with Texas, Kelvin Banks. Probably um, needs to be noted that they lost Kelvin Banks, obviously, right after Mario uh, left. But then also during the season, lost uh, Kingsley uh, Suamatia. That was also a five-star tackle from Utah. So the guys that you kind of expected to be your bookends for the next Did he go to BYU? Went to BYU, yeah. Yeah. So guys that you kind of expected to be your bookend tackles, both gone. Right. So that, mm -hmm. that, that hurts. Um, you, there's a, there's a DB from uh, San Diego, Jaleel Florence. You have a chance to get him back probably with a defensive minded head coach. Amarion Watson is an edge rusher from uh, central Catholic here in Portland had a great year. I think you're a good chance to get him back. If you press on him, 
uh, a little bit. So some guys that they could reel back in. That okay, so committed. you can't give them an incomplete. You got to give them a letter grade. What would you say right now? I mean, for the job that he did with two days, I think you got to give him an A minus so far. He didn't nail it, mm-hmm. but he held something together and and only, I mean, I, I mean, I want to hear from you guys because you're more unbiased, but only two guys in the portal 11 days after your head coach leaves. That's pretty light, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's pretty good. I mean, he's, he's an exciting coach and you know, um, I, I think I, it's, I, I think Mario also assembled such a strong class that even though they lost a few guys, it's still, you know, 31st nationally. Right. Um, I think you would have liked to see him, you know, flip one Georgia guy or something, sure. you know, maybe that's too much to ask, but, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's solid. I think a minus seems high. Okay. A, a minus um, oh, oh. will be if he can hold on to T Mac, I think from, okay. from Anaheim, if he sure. loses him, it's probably fall down to more like a B. I think he's yeah. kind of a big player in this class for sure. Okay. Um, and then Nate, you're going to wrap us up with, yeah. with <laughs> maybe not quite as impressive because, you know, Shaw has been at Stanford for so long. But but maybe maybe it is as impressive because it's so hard. They have to recruit nationally. It's so hard to get guys academically qualified for Stanford to finish with the and, and the absolute train wreck of a season that like I mean, these guys committed to Stanford and then watched some of the most appalling football get played and watch this team get get worse week by week. And, and for Shaw to hold this class together, the best class in the conference, 15th nationally for Stanford is in really impressive job for their recruiting staff. Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, I'll just say it right off the top that I think that this is an A because you get the best class in, uh, you know, in the conference. And you could argue by the end of the season them or Arizona was probably the worst team. I know they finished three and nine, but, by the time the season was closing, they were borderline the worst team in the conference. I don't know if yeah. you guys would agree with the that. The wheels had so. fallen off. They were, yeah. I, I, so, I think it would be a coin toss between those two teams if had they you know, lined them up. You know, if you're Stanford, you got a little bit of a young roster. You, you're, you're bringing a lot of guys back. You know, they lose, you know, um, wide receiver Michael Wilson, who was a senior uh, tight end, you know, a couple tight ends, I think, Tucker Fisk and but and um a fullback but you know they expect to have you know tanner mckee back nathaniel pete some of these kind of playmakers most of the line um you lose wade perry on the defensive side of the ball and and then tucker fisk who who is um you know the defensive end and so it it slashed tight end literally the guy that's playing on both sides of the ball as i was mentioning but um so I think the biggest concern is you had a really bad defense and you're losing a lot of guys off your defensive side of the ball. And so they needed to address that. And you got to say that they did, right? So you get um, David Bailey, edge rusher, one of the you know top rated guys in California, you know, not a five-star, but approaching it. You get a defensive lineman from, from Texas, Ernest Cooper, uh, linebacker from um, Honolulu, uh, tackle I mentioned you know that uh, out of Franklin Tennessee and, and and then you know some of their patented tight ends here and but so they got a, a few guys in in every kind of single category I think the one thing that this class lacks is um, any sort of like clear playmaker 
I guess I would say. Um, there's, there's no real like jitterbug or anything that, that, that could really give them a spark on offense that I think that they might need for, yeah. for next year. But you know what? They signed 20 guys. They only lost one. You had mentioned they lost, you know, one guy to UCLA at the 11th hour, but every other than that, they held everybody. This is not a team that can go really portal diving, you know, with mm-hmm. the academic situation at Stanford, you can't be bringing somebody Plus, in. Cal Poly's got somebody available. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, I was going to say like, uh, MIT or something <laughs> happens to produce some the sort irony of irony being Cal Poly, a kid, a defensive back transferred to UW. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> wow. Well, they do like to deal with, you know, schools with more academic prowess. That's <laughs> so, what I'm saying. That's what we're yeah. saying. Anyways. So I, I think this, you know, three and nine, they had no coach attrition. So Shaw didn't fire any coaches. He trusts his guys. He's going to bring them back. They're going to run it back. There's really been no rumbling about him being on a hot seat. And then he signed a, a good class. So I don't see this affecting much for next year. I think they're going to be bad again. Not as bad, but I, I could see five and seven uh, again next year. And then, you know, hopefully he just gets to hold on to these guys and develop them. And then maybe, in, you know, 2023, he's looking to turn the corner. That'd be Tanner McKee's senior year. And you're kind of filling in the gaps with some of these yeah. better players. But yeah, that's that's what you got with Stanford. I think as we as we wrap up here, we've talked about all the teams in the conference. Just in general, I think if you had to give the conference a grade, it's probably a like a C minus somewhere in there. I think there's there's it's a D back, plus for me. It's barely passing. Yeah. Barely I mean, there's there's too many. There's still too many guys leaving California, um, and and other other you know parts of the Pac-12 footprint to to head east to the big 10 and to the sec um where you know notre dame is is still signing some guys out of california so um i think maybe that will change next year with some of these coaches you know going into their second year it's just we talked about it's really hard to do with minimal time but i think if landing is anywhere near the recruiter that he's purported to be i think with lincoln riley um you know DeBoer and his staff with Jed Fish getting a full, you know, <laughs> I think probably, you know, I think they probably Arizona State takes a step forward and maybe they can keep recruiting. So, um, you know, I, I think the conference talent pool needs to continue to improve. I don't think this class in aggregate did that. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it still feels like an uphill climb, but I, I do think that with the coaching hires that are in place, it's, it's doable. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at some point the, the conference is going to have to turn the corner, right. On, on some of the recruiting, I think particularly USC, UCLA are, are going to have to get back to those like top, you know, for USC top 10 classes for UCLA top 20 classes, Oregon's going to have to keep themselves in the teens, you know, type thing. And, and UW is going to have to get back to the top 25 for, for, I think this, and then Stanford's going to have to keep kind of nabbing these, these things that that's kind of, I, I that's why I'm a little disappointed in like the Utah angle where it's like they had this great year. They looked good. As Cody said, they have a lot to sell in terms of development and putting guys in the league. And I mean, this feels like if there was an ever a time to capitalize, this was it. And it's like, yeah, it's a nice class, but it's not impressive. And so I don't know if they want to really get back to bringing bodies out this way and keeping the best guys out here, out here, those five teams are going to have to step up and, and do better. 
Yeah. Agreed. All right, guys. We we got to land this bird soon. It's been it's been an hour and a half talking okay. about recruiting. People love recruiting. I'm sick. We record this late at night, so I'm making an executive decision. Let's. All right. We'll, let's do it. Well, let's let's land this bird. Um, who is your NFL Player of the Week? Aaron Rodgers, twenty-eight for thirty-seven, three forty-one, four touchdowns. I also had Rodgers, unfortunately. <laughs> Tim, who's the Husky of the week? Greg Gang. <laughs> getting national love all over the place for his play on Monday Night Football. Um, yeah, him and Vita Vea were on the same defensive line. Great. Okay. No, but the real the real thing, we said bull bonanza. In, have, in just in just two short days. Yes. The, Jim, the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl will kick off in Inglewood, California, featuring Utah State and Oregon State. I, the last line I saw was minus seven. Has that moved at all? Since... Oregon, Oregon seven-point favorites. Yep. Okay. Uh, I've got the Beavs. Uh, I don't know if you guys have, you know, we've talked about coaching changes and stuff. Utah State's coaching staff has, like, gotten kind of poached by other programs. So, I'm just – I think Oregon State is going to be stoked to be in a bowl. Um, so, I've got the Beavs. I will be going with Utah State because Oregon State cannot win uh, outside of Research Stadium. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I like the Beavs here. I, I feel like they've been able to kind of stay concentrated on this game. They didn't have a lot of the drama and transfers and different things that other teams have, so they kind of ended the season where they'll turn their focus on this. Could be B.J. Baylor's last game, like you're saying. Uh, we'll find out about that. I think they'll be motivated. I think the Beavers win. Okay. Uh, the San Diego something citizens credit union county, bowl. county credit union, <laughs> the SDCCU bowl in San Diego featuring uh UCLA and NC State. Uh, UCLA is an underdog by a, a single point, they're obviously paying, playing pretty close to home. Uh, potentially DTR's last game. Uh, I'm. I don't think I'm being too much of a conference honk. I I pick the Bruins in this one. I would. I'll take the Bruins as well. I mean, they're not traveling far. Uh, you know, NC State. Uh, you know, coming to San Diego might have a little too much fun. No, but uh, I think I think I think the Bruins. Yeah, I think the key thing is is basically a home game, right? So, with all the Omicron <laughs> concerns coming up. <laughs> And uh, in COVID situation, I, I think yeah, maybe we need to have a third if we need to vote for COVID for some of these games because the game <laughs> may not be played. Yeah, so I, I think you got okay. you got to favor the home team there. I'll, I'll give it to the Bruins. Okay, uh, getting a little more interesting. Uh, December 29th, Oregon, Oklahoma, in the Al- Alamo Dome for the uh, Alamo Bowl, San Antonio, uh, Oklahoma is favored by four and a half. I, I think that's fair. I mean, one of the more interesting games, both the, you know, headless programs, you got Bob Stoops coaching. Uh, just how, just how banged up Oregon is. I go with Oklahoma. I think it's gotta be Oklahoma. I mean, Oregon's being coached by, uh, you know, McClendon, but 
I think he's out as soon as the game's over, probably to Miami. Is it Moorhead coaching too? Yeah, Moorhead sticking yeah. around, but then he's leaving the next day for yeah. Akron. So I think guys have been distracted by other stuff. Kids in the program were trying to figure out who was going to get hired. You really got to question where the, where the, the focus has been. Now, Oklahoma's got to go through some of those same things, but they're closer to the home team on this game. I, I think it's probably going to be Oklahoma. Yeah, I just I, I just wrote two words. I wrote leadership vacuum. So uh, I, I like Oklahoma. I think Stoops will get get a bowl, another bowl win. <laughs> uh, Vegas Bowl, December 30th. Uh, Wisconsin, Arizona State, Wisconsin favored by seven. Um, I had the Badgers just based on all the guys I mentioned, you know, an hour and a half ago when we were talking about ASU <laughs> that are not going to be participating in this game for Arizona State. Um, what yeah. do you think? Yeah, I, I would go Wisconsin as well, just like you mentioned an hour, uh, you know, there earlier. And, and, um, this kind of seems Wisconsin's seems like they're a pretty good bowl team usually. So mm-hmm. Wisconsin seems to be taking this game more seriously. <laughs> and, uh, I think on that alone, I think they're the better team to, to begin with. And then you, you factor that in. It's a big hill to climb for ASU. Okay. Uh, Sun Bowl, El Paso. Uh, please 30- call it its proper name. Uh, does it have a full name? Tony, Tony, the, Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, played on New Year's Eve. Uh, Cougs, Miami. Miami favored by two and a half. Um, Who's you know, Miami. Do we know? I, <laughs> the ghost of Manny Diaz. I don't know. Mirabel. Mirabal's well, I mean, oh, yeah, he's be in the Rose Bowl, that's right. <laughs> or not the Rose Bowl, or not Rose Bowl, the Alamo Bowl. Sorry, but that I like the Cougs in this one. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever Miami staff is, is going to be makeshift. I think also, I think this is going to be um, Borgie and maybe even Dion McIntosh's last game. So the, the Coug backfield, uh, you know, has been playing really well down the stretch. I think they'll kind of go out with a bang. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think I think it's Cougs all the way. Um, Miami two and a half point favorites. I don't know why they're favorited, just based on everything that's happened with also program. You know, playing outdoors like th- that El Paso sounds warm, but it really isn't that yeah. nice usually in December. It's usually, it's usually windy. Well, and like, so last I feel time like these that, two teams played, it snowed. It it might be actually like pretty Pullman esque environment for yeah. for the Cougs. It might kind of feel like home. Whereas it will not feel like home for Miami. <laughs> and they Miami just won't want to be there. The game's at like 11 a.m. <laughs> like I, I'm going to yep. give this one of the Cougs also. Okay. Uh, just uh, one more conference game. Utah, Ohio State in the Rose. Ohio State favored by six and a half. Um, I really think that this, uh, this may be putting on my Pac-12 coat glasses or whatever but i think the youths are so excited about being in this game and um they have a pretty you know utah uh, or sorry excuse me ohio state the the games they've lost have been against kind of you know solid defensive teams that kind of frustrate them and utah is more than a solid defensive team they're a very good defensive team i think they kind of uh 
stifle and frustrate that offense and, uh, you know, get enough done on the ground um, to win. So I'm actually, I actually, I actually like the Utes in this. Um, I would not be shocked if Ohio State is not super motivated in this game either. And also, like I mentioned, I, I, I do think it will feel like the Utes fans will own this stadium in terms of noise level. But. I, uh, I agree with you, Cody. Um, everything you said on that, it's Utah's, you know, making a Rose Bowl. And Ohio State, I mean, like you said, I mean, two weeks ago their season ended, right, when they lost to Michigan. And it's what's the motivation? Obviously, winning a Rose Bowl is a huge deal, but they had championship aspirations. Yeah, I think this is one of those that whoever gets ahead, I think, is is going to win because – if Utah gets ahead, then the crowd's going to get into it, and then they can play kind of their sluggish style. And they can play the formula that hurt Ohio State, which is what Oregon and, um, and, and Michigan kind of did to Ohio State, you know, that kind of like beat them up, run the ball, hold the ball, ball possession type stuff. So, um, But if Ohio State jumps out to a two-touchdown lead, I, I don't see Utah being a team that can kind of play from behind I guess just to be disagreeable, I'm going to say that Ohio State finds a way to get ahead, and I, I think that they that they they're super win the game. they're a super talented team. They've got incredible receivers and a really good quarterback who left the Pac-12 footprint to play elsewhere. <laughs> so, well, and the other thing too that uh, I mean, it, it is 18 to 25 year olds because of Britton Covey, but um, you know you got to worry about if Utah says, well, Oregon beat these guys handedly and we smoked Oregon twice, you know, so you never know. Okay. So to, to wrap this up, we're going to, we are going to pick some non-conference games really quick. Uh, each of us get to throw out one random bowl game to pick, and then we'll do the, the playoff games as well. Uh, so I, I can go first if you guys are okay with that. Do it. Um, I'm going to go with uh, a, a super salty Liberty Bowl in Memphis between Mississippi State, Mike Leach, and his old employers at Texas Tech University. <laughs> um, I just think that's uh, a, a storyline made in heaven. Um, I, I, last time I checked, Mississippi State was favored by like eight and a half. Let me double check that. Uh, yep, eight, still, still at eight and a half. So I'm I'm picking Leach to get revenge on team that fired him and uh, refused to back down in the lawsuits to pay his outstanding I, salary. I agree. There there has been no coach excited for a bowl game more than this one. Leach gets revenge. <laughs> you know, I think also Texas Tech. I think is a bit banged up. And again, yeah, this is about as motivated as someone can get to uh, to go to the Liberty Bowl. So. <laughs> <laughs> Is that in Shreveport, Louisiana? <laughs> so this is, this is as motivated as anyone's ever been to go to Shreveport in December. <laughs> oh, this, uh, Liberty's in Memphis. Actually, oh, Memphis. I'm sorry. Actually, Nate, the game I'm picking is in Shreveport. Okay. Radiance <laughs> Technologies Independence Bowl, eight and four UAB against number thirteen BYU. You say why do you pick this bowl game? Because it's a Pac-12 game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the Pac-12 champs, <laughs> and no. I picked this game because I followed Art, Art Carmody, the kicker for Louisville. He is like 
a former, if you used to watch those Louisville games on Thursday nights, this guy was always on. I joked about it, a former coworker of mine. He befriended him on Facebook. I have befriended Art Carmody on Facebook. At some point, I follow this bowl game. It's the only bowl game I follow on Facebook. So I picked it. BYU seven point favorites. And I'm not wait. I don't it. understand what this random kicker has to do with the Independence Bowl. Because I used to, he's like a like his career in life has taken him to like run the run the. He uh, works for the Independence Bowl. Yeah. So Art Carmody. Okay. Yeah, right. There was a missing link there. That. I got so excited. <laughs> BYU is gonna win. Okay, BYU by is favored by seven. Uh, you know, got to pick the Pac-12 team here. <laughs> Pac-12 South champ, BYU. Uh, I'm going to go well. in the other direction. I'm going to say that BYU is overrated this oh, year. Oh, come on, hater. Almost got beat by, by the Trojans, who had packed it in at that point. You would have smoked your ducks. Give me the Blazers. <laughs> All right. Blazers. Nate, what, what game do you like? Yeah, so I, I think we got an, in, in any time that a, a, a game serves us up a little even spread, I, I think that we uh, we should uh, turn our uh, attention there. Uh, both places were able to retain their coaches, so you, you got some motivated teams potentially. Baylor and Ole Miss in the All-State Sugar Bowl. There is literally no spread. Pick them, boys. What do you got? Lane train. Offense is uh, going to be defense. My opinion. Give me a round, though. Wow. I'm going to go with, uh, you know, I think that this is an indoor game, which I think is going to ultimately favor the offense. I think Corral is maybe motivated to kind of make a statement, potentially a draft type thing for him. I'm going to take Lane and the Ole Miss Rebels. Okay. All right. So uh, jumping into the, the playoff games which will be played on um, January 31st, or sorry, December 31st. Um, number one, Alabama, number one seed, Alabama, against number four, Cincinnati, Bama, 13 and a half point favorites in this one, um, you know, being played in the Cotton Bowl. So location, theoretically agnostic. In reality, there's no way that there's <laughs> Cincinnati has as many fans in the building as Alabama does. Am I wrong on that? No. Tide's going to smoke them. It's not even going to be close. I just, I just don't think that. Roll Tide, Paul. I, there's just no way that Cincinnati is the bodies on defense, right? I mean, Cincinnati okay. got that nice win over Notre Dame, but it's when Notre Dame was absolutely sputtering on offense early in the year. I, I think I don't think Cincinnati has the bodies on defense to keep Alabama from just producing touchdown after touchdown. Okay. Uh, head south, along with Mario Cristobal to the Orange Bowl. Um, Georgia seven and a half point favorites over Michigan. Um, you know, this is, I feel like two weeks ago, people were acting as if Michigan going down again to Ohio state, you know, in the, the final game of this, their season was kind of a foregone conclusion. Like we know what Harbaugh, we know what the ceiling is for Harbaugh at Michigan at this point. Uh, I just think Michigan has been a really resilient, solid team. And you have to be a little bit shook watching Georgia give up that many points against, you know, uh, an Alabama team that has been far from explosive offensively throughout the season. So um, I, I actually am picking Michigan in the upset here. 
I don't think it's an upset. Uh, Georgia, when they played a good team, got handled. And I think barely beat Clemson. Clemson yep. kind of turned it around, finished nine and three, but you know, I, far, Mich- far from their usual self. Michigan's going to punch him in the mouth, and I think Michigan's going to come out victorious. A little bit of a, you know, you know, whispers about, you know, should JT Daniels, you know, supplant Stetson Bennett? And is, is there kind of some just, you know, sports psychology issues going on with, with Georgia this, you know, this coming? weeks i guys i'm I'm not feeling it the way you are (laughs) i i think that that michigan can't do the things that they need to do to i think that that ultimately what alabama was able to do to to create a problem for georgia's spread them out with nfl talent on the outside and nfl talent at quarterback and to throw it around the yard and I, I just don't – I don't know how Michigan's going to be able to reproduce that. Um, I'll take the Bulldogs by 10. Okay. So and, – And then this is sight unseen, but you got to pick a, a, a national champion because we're, we're not going to regroup again until after the championship game. Bama. I'll take Georgia. I think they figure out a way to um, not to, – to not let uh, – you know, to, to not let the QB embarrass him again. Okay, so you got you got Georgia all the way, and, and we have uh, Bama beating Michigan. Okay, Tim, thank you for hanging in despite being under the weather. Yes, I apologize. It's, uh, you're you're a man amongst men. No, I also just can't pick Bama. I just cannot pick Bama to win yet another it, national championship. It makes me <laughs> it makes me sick, but I'm doing it. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I've, I, the last two years, I've kind of started to sympathize with Bama for some reason. I think it's, oh, I think it's Stockholm syndrome. I really am. Wow. Like, yeah, roll tide, baby. So <laughs> next thing we know, you're going to kind of be seeing Urban Meyer side of things. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, next thing we know, he's going to roll out a Brian Kelly Southern accent on yeah. us. <laughs> my, my family. <laughs> I'm so excited to be with my family. Family. <laughs> <laughs> They just to get him ready on the on the plane ride down. They just showed him an episode of King of the Hill. That's the only oh, context wow. he had. <laughs> I, th- I think we walk off on that. We can't okay. we can't end any better. 